Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Welcome to Balance Black Girl. I'm your host, Les, and I'm so happy to be sharing space with you today. We're currently in the midst of our new life series on the podcast, and we're talking with guests about fertility, motherhood, and birthing new ideas. If you haven't listened to the first two episodes of the series, I highly recommend you do so because we've had some informative conversations about reproductive health and feeling empowered to make the best decisions for us as individuals regarding our fertility. If you've been listening, you may have realized we're kind of walking on a journey in this series. So in our first episode, we talked to Dr. Tiffany Jones and essentially had a fertility 101 conversation to understand the different factors that can impact our fertility. Last week, we talked to Dr. Cleopatra about the primester protocol and factors to consider if you want to start trying to conceive. And today we're talking about pregnancy, preparing for birth, and postpartum support with our guest, Miriam Webb. Miriam is a registered dietitian, registered nurse, and doula. She's worked as a registered dietitian serving the diverse population of New York City in community, clinical, and outpatient settings for eight years. As she started planning her own reproductive journey, she came across the research and information showing how medical racism and the social determinants of health impacted birth outcomes in the black and brown communities. This information motivated her to pursue and complete a full-spectrum doula training and become a birth assistant to a midwifery practice in Brooklyn, New York. She combined her nutrition and doula skills and started her business to support her community in reclaiming their birth journeys and health. And she recently graduated from nursing school and intends to strengthen her clinical skills and continue to advocate for respectful and dignified care. After having this conversation with Miriam, I can only imagine how supported her clients and patients must feel by her. She's knowledgeable, thoughtful, and has a wealth of information supporting those who are preparing to or have just given birth. So we talk about prenatal nutrition, building a supportive care team, how doulas can help, and ways we all, as parts of others' villages, can support the people in our lives who have just given birth. So let's meet Miriam. Miriam, welcome to Balance Flat Girl. I'm so excited to have you. You are so freaking knowledgeable. You're a registered dietitian, a doula, currently becoming a registered nurse. I just feel like you're going to help us get our lives all the way together today with all of your knowledge. 
<laughs> well, thank you so much for inviting me on the podcast. I appreciate that. Um, really, I'm grateful to share space with you and all of your listeners and definitely want to talk about this important topic with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right now on the podcast, our series is called Rebirth and Renewal, and we're talking a lot about relevant topics for people who give birth. Um, whether that is people who are interested in trying to conceive right now, maybe pregnant with their first child, maybe haven't had children yet but are seriously considering it. Um, So I'm really, really excited to get to talk to you and to get to learn from you because I think the areas of expertise that you bring are just so relevant to those topics. Yeah, I'm super excited about your series. Uh, Hearing about it is so interesting. I think it's a really important topic that a lot of people who, you know, might may give birth don't necessarily think about this whole process until they decide, oh, wow, I think I might want to start my family. So this is going to be a really interesting series. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I mean, you know, I am at the point where I have a lot of friends who are either pregnant right now or who have had their first child within the past year, year and a half. I'm just, I'm at a point in time where a lot of people that I know are there. And it's been really interesting hearing their perspectives of what they wish they would have known before starting that journey. And so a lot of that is what I would love to dig in with you today. Yeah, let's do it. There's definitely a lot that you can learn about before you actually embark on the journey. So I'm super excited to touch a little bit about all of those things, especially from a BIPOC perspective, because it's definitely something that I like to focus on in my work. So for sure, let's dig into it. Perfect. Perfect. So the first thing that I would love to talk to you about is actually the nutrition side of things. As just a huge wellness nerd, I always just love learning about the different needs that our bodies have. And I would love to talk about nutrition for birthing people, making sure that our nutritional needs are met you know, before, during, and after pregnancy, and talking about how our nutritional needs can change during those different stages. Yeah, sure. So nutrition is one of my favorite topics in the entire world. Um, I'm a registered dietitian, and I've definitely dwelled into this topic for a long time. But when it comes to pregnancy, I think that it's really interesting for us to know that 50% of pregnancies are unplanned. Right. So when it comes to actually becoming pregnant, some birthing folks, they actually become pregnant before they even planned for it. So our nutritional status prior to pregnancy is super, super important, especially in the first 14 days of the pregnancy. Um, so how many people actually know they're pregnant in the first 14 days of pregnancy? The majority of people don't. Unless, of course, you did some type of IVF or IUI where you were actively seeking to get pregnant or if you were just using family planning um, strategies where you planned your pregnancy. So one of the biggest things that we hear in the nutrition world discussed is folic acid and how folic acid can affect the uh, baby and can uh, deficiencies in folic acid can lead to spina bifida and a lot of neural defects in baby. But a lot of that is in the first two weeks of pregnancy. So we have to think about how we can nourish our bodies before we actually get pregnant. And a lot of times 
there is a lot of information out there that can seem overwhelming. But what I have come to find in working with my clients is that really and truly eating in a balanced way is the struggle for most people. So having half of your um, plate being fruits and vegetables um, and making sure that you're incorporating a variety of foods, that's one of the most important strategies that everyone can definitely implement. It's baby steps, but it's important. The other thing is that a lot of times we are not thinking about something called our vitamin D status. And it's something that really affects a lot of uh, people, but especially uh, people of color, especially those who are melanated. And so those who have a darker complexion uh, may tend to be more vitamin D deficient than other persons. And so, I mean, I know I was vitamin D deficient for a while. I live on in New York on the East Coast and the winter does not do me well. <laughs> and so I had to supplement um, and struggle with that for a little while. And I'm a registered dietitian. So if I wasn't on top of my status, I wouldn't necessarily know. So now there are a lot of studies that are really digging deep into vitamin D and its connections with a lot of other um, issues and diseases and correlation beyond just mood, beyond just bones. Um, so that's one thing I would say for anyone who's trying to get pregnant, just make sure one of the first things you do is look at your vitamin D status as well. Because as we're growing a baby, we need to make sure that our stores and our macro and micronutrients are sufficient for ourselves. Um, you know, a lot of times there is a huge back and forth of should I be vegan? Should I be pescatarian? Should I eat red meat? Should I not? And I think that it's just important to remember that you do need some source of protein and you need to have a balanced meal pattern. So whether the protein source is from beans or from meat or from fish, um, I think it's just more important to focus on a variety, a balanced meal pattern that you're not just having one single thing all the time or that you're having gaps in your meals um, or in your style of eating so that you're nourishing your body, right? Because we do need more of certain nutrients during pregnancy. So to give you the, the summary of it, I think that in working with people in their nutritional status, most of the time, the bulk of the work is really in how can we make, how can we add more foods, add more variety, and just make it more balanced and try not to skip meals because even if you're nauseous um, or if you're just not in the mood for food, having nutritious snacks available to you to try to ensure that you're you know, nourishing your body is really important. So much good information that you just shared with us that was new to me. I actually didn't know that half of pregnancies were unplanned and that that first 14 days is so critical. That is such an important piece of information because yeah, 14 days in, I would imagine a lot of people probably don't know that they're pregnant yet. They probably may not have even missed a, a period yet or may barely be having a late period that may not necessarily raise concern at that time. And so it sounds like for everybody, it's really important to try and be as mindful as you can about getting your nutritional needs met because what's good for you is going to be good for potential babies down the line. 
Yes. And that's why the general recommendation is out there that those who are in childbearing um, years should be taking a high quality prenatal vitamin, right? Because we don't always know when we'll become pregnant. So it's, it kind of helps us fill in the gaps for our not so ideal meal patterns. Um, it's kind of like a backup reinforcement. So I do understand that recommendation, but I always still like to emphasize that food should always be first. Um, and if we work on our foods, then it's, it's not a, a huge reliance on supplements from, you know, outside companies that may or may not be what you're actually purchasing. So always food first. Definitely. And I think a lot of supplements aren't able to ethically test like efficacy on pregnant people. Is that right? Well, to be honest, I'm not sure if that's if the ethics part is in testing with pregnant persons, I think the ethic part is that they don't even necessarily test what they're selling you. So a lot of people um, think, well, what's on the label matches what I'm actually taking. And there are that's not true, right? It's not necessarily regulated in the same way that medications are. So really, it's hard to really know for 100% what you're paying for is what you're getting when you're buying supplements. But you know 100% that if you're eating in a well-balanced way, and you're making your meals, that you know what you're actually in, um, taking in. So, you know, I always like to tell people, you do your best when you're selecting products and you do your research, but you can't 100% know what's in there all the time. Such a good point and just a, a good tip to help us all be savvy consumers <laughs> while we're making decisions. <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, I have a lot of friends who are either pregnant right now or who have ju like just had babies very recently. And something that I've heard a lot of them talk about is food aversions that they experience while being pregnant, just being very turned off either by certain things or by most things. So for people who may be pregnant who are having food aversions where maybe like everything is just making them feel sick or nothing sounds good, what do you recommend they do to kind of honor that while still getting their nutritional needs met? Well, first thing I want to say is that it's super important throughout your pregnancy to be gentle with yourself and to give yourself the space to feel whatever it is you're feeling and to honor that. So we also have to remember that people have been having babies for a very long time and that our bodies, are they're really efficient and trying to make sure that baby is growing well. That doesn't mean that things um, don't go wrong or, you know, that outcomes can be, uh, can sometimes be non-ideal, but you know, when it comes to, am I eating enough, take it one day at a time. Some days you may be nauseous. Some days you may not be nauseous. Um, some days you may have all of the fruits and vegetables that you can desire and very nice uh, balanced meals. And some days you may only be able to hold down water that day. Um, so the first thing I want to say is that I always tell my clients, you know, stay in tune with what's going on with you. And then always make sure that you have different varieties of, of options in the home. So maybe all you can tolerate um, are grapes, maybe strawberries, maybe just ice cream. It's okay. Uh, remember that it's a balance, right? 
And eventually, for most persons, the beginning nauseous stage does not last the entire pregnancy, right? There are uh, some pregnant persons that it does last the entire pregnancy, but in those situations, they are going to receive additional help and they may need medications and management in other ways. Hydration is always super important. So if all you really did was snack a little bit and uh, maintain your hydration, then you did a lot, right? And then when you're able to try to, even if in small, tiny portions, Whatever it is that you are consuming and able to tolerate, try to consume those things. And just remember that for the most part, all things are temporary. So even this phase will pass. And it can be a miserable phase for some people. I think we need to acknowledge that because sometimes pregnant persons can feel like, oh, I feel so bad. Everyone is so excited, but I'm having such a bad pregnancy. And they may feel shameful about feeling that way, but your lived experience is valid. So if it feels like a miserable pregnancy, it's okay. It's your experience. You have a right to label it however you want. But even that is temporary. Eventually, you'll meet your baby and you don't have to be in this phase. So I always say having like nutritious, easy to make, easy to access snacks is one of the best things you can do because you're not like, oh, my God, I'm feeling tired and nauseous. And now I have to cook this big meal and I can't like even stand the spices. No, it's cool. Just have a few things you can grab and chew on and eat that you actually enjoy and and be a little bit gentle with yourself because it's necessary. Such helpful advice. I also just have to say, Marion, listening to you, I just love how affirming you are. <laughs> it just feels so good to, to hear and listen to of like, do your best. It's okay. That reminder of, you know, many people have had babies before your body knows what to do. I think it's just so important to, to reinforce and hear during that time. Yeah, it's super important. And especially for those in the BIPOC community, because as we'll probably touch on later on in the conversation, there are so many things for us to worry about that we may be hearing and listening to and a lot of unsolicited advice sometimes and a lot of interference. And it can be very easy to lose sight of the fact that it is your pregnancy and your experience and completely and totally unique. Um, and so that can be something that we lose if we don't actively work to hold on to. Um, and that can affect how we feel about meeting our babies, giving birth to our babies. So really affirming yourself is something that's consistent. That has to be consistent because there will be a lot of things coming at you at one time and you need to be able to just Remind yourself that no one is more capable than you to make your decisions. And you'll have to keep reminding yourself of that. Mm, yes. Yes. I am so, so glad that you said that. And I definitely want to dig into that as we continue, um, especially when we talk about kind of assembling your care team and what that that looks like. If you listen to this podcast, you know that I'm a big advocate for having hobbies and learning a new language is an incredible hobby to take up. I've been practicing my French with Babbel and it's been such an effective, engaging way to learn. I took French in high school and college, but I got a little rusty and I wanted to brush up before visiting France earlier this year and I've been hooked on Babbel 
ever since because it's helped so much. And you too can make amazing progress with your language learning through Babbel. And that's because Babbel actually works. So instead of paying hundreds of dollars for private classes or playing on apps that are basically glorified games, you can take Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons that are designed by over 150 language experts to help you start speaking a new language as soon as three weeks from now. Babbel is designed by real people for real conversations, and their methods for learning a new language are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, so you're learning things you would actually say, and delivered with conversation-based teaching. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. It's no wonder why Babbel has sold over 10 million subscriptions because it's real learning for real conversations. And they're offering a special limited time deal for our listeners to get you started right now. So you can get 55% off your Babbel subscription only for our listeners at babbel.com slash balanced. Get up to 55% off at babbel.com slash balanced, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash balanced. Rules and restrictions may apply. I would love to talk a bit more about doulas and about the work that doulas do and the role of a doula. First, I would love to hear what inspired you to become a doula and how was that process for you? So it is so funny. Sometimes I say that life prepares you for experiences, for what you're meant to be doing, even when you don't understand exactly why. So anyone who knows me knows that probably before I was even ready to think about having children, I've been kind of like obsessed with birth work and looking at chest feeding and uh, birth outcomes and and like on my free time like that's what I did right like I don't know why um and really all the babies in my family are my babies I, I'm really that person I'm very much in tune with like the young infants and and pregnant persons I'm drawn to them for I don't know why but when it came to becoming an actual doula I didn't even know what a real doula what a doula was I didn't know at all like that there were doulas and what their role was. But when I learned about what they did, I realized, oh, wow, I kind of do this. I do this like intuitively for those that I love. Um, and I was coming across, to be completely honest, I was coming across a point in my career where I was like, I do everything in birth work um, on my free time in terms of researching, in terms of like learning and listening to like uh, podcasts and looking at websites. And I know this is the population I want to work with. At what point am I going to transition into that work? And I actually started off by looking for places to do training to become a birth assistant. And I found that there weren't that many inclusive spaces. So as I kept researching, like, well, how am I going to transition to this type of work um, and marry both my nutrition career and this type of work? Like, what what am I going to do? So I came across a doula training um, program that was run, that is run by a Black woman, Black Indigenous woman. And I looked at how it was taught and I looked at 
um, the criteria. And I also just looked at the topics that she discussed in her training. And that was how I wanted to learn how to serve my community. Because as I learned more about giving birth in New York City, the more I kept learning, the more I was horrified. And I'm like, this is not the type of experience that, you know, most people are looking forward to. And I don't really understand how to show up for people in this space. And I knew that I wanted to learn from someone in the community. So I was very grateful to find a program that um, centered the experiences of BIPOC uh, folks and really trained us to question everything and to be sensitive to all aspects of our clients. And really, that is holistic teachings, right? And so as a dietitian, I knew that if I was going to do this work, I wanted it to be in a holistic type of way, meaning we're talking about the entire person, spiritually, emotionally, physically. And I found that in this training. So I'm so grateful because you find a community as well. When you do your doula training, you usually find your community there. And we're still very much in touch with each other and helping each other throughout the process. Um, because we come across a lot of different uh, challenging situations where we may need support and also emotional support. Yeah, so that's how I ended up becoming a doula. And now that I think about it and I reflect back, it was something, like I said, I was kind of doing it just naturally, but I didn't have a name for it. And if you look at our cultures, most um, BIPOC cultures have that communal um, support around the time of pregnancy that we probably have ingrained in us from previous generations. But in our modern day society, we hadn't have a chance to really express that. Um, and I'm grateful that I have a way to express it, but I'm also acknowledging that ancestrally, my people have always expressed it um, in some way, shape or form. I love, love, love that last piece that you said about a lot of it was things that you were already doing and just being able to put a name to it while honoring our cultural traditions. I think that that's so powerful. And I think that's why we've seen, particularly over the past few years, at least I feel like I've seen a lot more conversations about Black women specifically enlisting the help of, of doulas and seeking these types of care when going on these experiences. And it makes sense that it is in our DNA to have that community of support. Yes. And, you know, as you learn more about what doula work is like, what you realize is that communities have always had that, you know, and that is part of what taking care of each other has always looked like. Um, so some communities, it would be mothers, aunties, cousins, and, you know, the neighborhood midwife that was would take care of everyone beyond birth. Um, but as we modernized everything in in birth related to birth, we kind of lost that um, that community. So now, although we have a title for it, it's not a real really new concept to those in our communities. In a way, it's almost like the modernization of caring for each other, but in another way, when you're doing it for your community, it's not anything new, right? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that community care aspect is so important. So important. So I would love to talk a little bit about who should be on the care team of birthing peoples. Like, 
would it be helpful to have, you know, maybe a doula? Is there a difference between what the doula does versus what a midwife does? And and how can that team all kind of work together? Also, if someone chooses to give birth in a hospital, how can uh, how can the team kind of integrate as a unit to support that family? Yeah, I would love to talk about this. Um, I'm a big believer of what we call collaborative care, which means that although everyone may have their unique focus as professionals, the focus is really to work together to take care of the birthing person. So the first thing I want to say is that the birthing person needs to know what type of environment and what type of experience they want to give birth in or they want to actually have when they're in labor, right? And so that is an introspective type of, um, that's an introspective journey. Like you have to ask yourself what it is you want to experience. And then based off of that, you start to pick your team, right? So, you know, the beautiful thing about doulas is that there are all different types of doulas. There are doulas that are also yogis. There are doulas that are pelvic floor therapists. There are doulas that are dietitians. Like there are different specialties combined, but you have to kind of know what it is that you want. Do you want someone who does more spiritual work? Do you want someone who does more body work? Do you want someone who's like super hardcore on the facts and the, you know, the science and all of that? Everyone's style is different. So it stems from you. What is it that you want? Then from there, you can say, okay, so I know I want this type of experience. What type of provider would be able to collaborate in that type of experience? So if you know that you are going to need to have a surgical birth for whatever reason, then you know you're going to need an OBGYN. So that doesn't mean that you can't still have a respectful, collaborative, individual birth. But you'll have to start thinking, this is an OBGYN. What kind of qualities do I want to look for in an OBGYN? Now, if you're a low-risk person and you know you can't stand the hospital, because <laughs> we have to acknowledge that some people don't even want to go to the hospital for a true emergency, and birth is not an illness, right? Giving birth is not, pregnancy is not an illness, and giving birth is not an illness, so you don't necessarily have to be in the hospital. Um, so if you're a good candidate for a home birth, then you absolutely want to look for a midwife and not just any midwife, but a home birth midwife. And so really, as you're selecting your team, you have to go back and reflect on, is this in harmony with the way that I envisioned how I want to bring my child birth side? And if it's not in harmony, then reassess, right? Um, so there is a huge difference between a doula and a midwife. A doula may or may not be certified. And even if they're certified, it's not necessarily a regulated profession. A midwife um, is the medical provider. The doula is not the medical provider. We're the emotional, physical, educational support, but the midwife is the medical provider. The midwife is responsible for monitoring your health status, baby's health status. And so there, it's not to replace each other. There's no way to. It's like, it's like comparing apples and oranges, two different roles, two different functions, right? However, that being said, there are also many different types of midwives. There are certified nurse midwives, there are CPMs, there are um, traditional midwives. So you have to kind of know and do your research and look into what, again, 
what type of provider, what type of midwife is in harmony with the type of experience that you want to have. I do also want to acknowledge some people would love to have a home birth and a midwife, but it's not uh, always an accessible service in every state. And it's not always covered by insurance. So so there are true barriers, not to mention there are some health issues that someone may have that restricts their access to a home birth. So, so you really have to know yourself and your situation and not beat yourself up for what is available to you, right? I think that sometimes we're like, oh my God, I definitely want that water birth with all those beautiful flowers around and the yoga music. And and then you are like, I can't access that. And I'm, I, you can beat yourself up for that. But we are not in an ideal environment where there's equity. Um, we are in a very compartmentalized healthcare system there are true barriers to those things. And so I think we need to recognize that. And you have to be, gen- again, gentle with yourself and honest when you're looking at your options and when you're planning your birth, right? But that being said, you still are the main factor in determining what everyone else should be doing. It's based off of your needs and what you need. So the more you know what you need, the more you can select people who fall into harmony with your vision, right? Definitely. What you were saying about that harmony really, really stuck out to me because I don't know if I've ever heard the experience described in that way. And I really appreciate just how empowering you made that sound of you can think about what harmony you want and select the team that's going to be aligned with that because that just gives us a lot of uh, agency over our experience that I know I certainly hadn't considered before. So I really love the way you describe that. Yeah, I'm so grateful that you appreciate that. And you know, I always tell people, when we meet someone for the first time, we do a vibe check, right? And you're like, "Mm, this person is not vibing with me. I I don't know why. And literally to this date, I have never... (laughs) been wrong on my vibe checks. Like my my intuition is so on point. And so trust your intuition, right? So if you're interviewing providers, which here's another thing, please, please, please interview anyone who's going to have access to you, whether it's an OB, a midwife, a doula, interview them, have questions that you ask them so that you can kind of um, do your vibe check. And, and, you know, and I do want to emphasize that because if, you are interviewing someone and you just get a bad vibe. Mm, I don't think they were really listening. They were a little bit hesitant or whatever the case may be. Trust that because a lot of times the way you're treated in your prenatal sessions is the way you're going to be treated during your birth, right? So if you have a provider that's not listening to you, um, that's really not centering your experience, then most likely when you're giving birth, they're not going to center you as well. It's going to be, oh, the policy, oh, my time, oh, you know, I have other people, blah, blah, blah. And so you want to do the vibe check and interview people and and ask yourself after every interaction, did I feel listened to? Did I feel centered? Is this is this someone I want to work with? Um, because again, your experience, your birth, and so you want to check the energy that enters your experience. Oh, that's so important. And when someone is interviewing particular 
candidates for their care team? Are there certain types of questions that you recommend they ask or certain, you know, data things that they ask about, about either that person's experience or maybe the outcomes of other other people they've worked with? Like, how do you recommend preparing for those interviews? Oh, I have tons of questions. (laughs) (laughs) I really, really, really recommend asking about C-section rates. Um, So you can, depending on the state, in New York, the New York State Department of Health has a database where you can actually look up your birthing facility if it's a hospital and see the C-section rate, the rate of vaginal births, the rate of episiotomies, like it breaks down different birth statistics. Um, your provider may or may not know the birth statistics for the facility in which they work. However, they know their statistics, or at least they should. So how, what is your C-section rate? What is your take on, uh, how do you handle, uh, or when do you determine uh, when a C-section is necessary? Um, you can ask questions about birthing positions. Um, I'm someone who I like to be active. I would like to have the option to birth in whatever position is comfortable to me. How do you accommodate that in your practice? And just ask them about, you can even ask them about their philosophies with birth, pertaining to birth. One of my favorite questions to ask a provider is how do you uh, collaborate care with doulas? Because this is a big one. Um, you can have your doula, but your provider may not respect or acknowledge the role of your doula. And so you can learn a lot from how they they say that they either work or do not work with doulas, right? So and from my personal experience, I have found that very few OBGYNs even um, will acknowledge my role or even answer questions. Or if I um, say, oh, I'd love I'd love to speak to your provider or, you know, ask a few questions myself, they really don't care to center that, um, which is interesting. When you when you work in the medical field, in any medical field, you understand why they function that way, because a, they don't have time for you because they're billing by 15 minutes increments, right? Um, and secondly, they are always concerned with malpractice. So more people that are involved, the more they're concerned with that. Um, however, in my experience, I have found that midwives are a lot more open to um, collaborating with doulas, and they actually embrace doulas as part of the care team. Um, So a lot of times they know that you know your client very well, or at least you should be getting to know your client very well, and they can tag you in when collaborating care. Um, Or if they have a concern about, you know, where the person is in their labor process, and they need an extra set of knives, or how, how is this person vocalizing? So I always love when my clients ask their provider, um, how do you feel about doulas or how do you collaborate care with doulas? And based off of that, you kind of know how they're going to feel about having an extra set of eyes in the space, right? That should tell you a lot about um, whether they're up on the evidence of the roles of doulas and how doulas impact outcomes, whether they respect it, whether they even are just respectful of the fact that you want additional support, right? 
Um, so I have like a whole list of questions that I give my clients when they are interviewing either OBs or midwives, but those are just like a few that I like to pinpoint. You can ask about C-section rates, they're how they collaborate with other professionals. And to be completely honest, I would say go as far as to look up reviews about their practice, right? Um, because that would give you an idea of some people, the way they speak outside of the birthing space is one way, but then when they're actually in the birthing space, it's like being with a stranger. So it's good to have input from people who were actually their clients. Oh my gosh. I just learned so much in that one answer (laughs) about questions to ask and things to consider. No, it's amazing. I'm so, so grateful because even that handful of questions you just gave us was incredible and already has me thinking in different ways about just other factors to make sure that we're considering. So that is is super helpful. If someone is interested in working with a doula, when should they bring them into the process? You know, first trimester, second trimester, if they are planning a pregnancy, if they're trying to conceive, should they start thinking about doulas? Is there kind of an ideal time to bring a doula into the fold? So this question is something I've pondered over for a very long time because I used to say, my answer used to be that you should bring in a doula in your uh, third trimester. And what I'm starting to realize is that, honestly, the earlier, the better. If you have an idea of someone that you want to work with, that you like in terms of liking their practice, you like how they are working with their clients and you like the their knowledge and what they have to offer, I honestly would say try to reach out to them as soon as you know that you're pregnant. Some doulas do specialize in fertility work and um, they work with clients even in their preconception period. So that is a great opportunity to work with someone that you know that you want at your birth, right? And what's great about that is that the more you work with someone, the more time you'll have to switch doulas if you realize you don't want to work with that person um, for your birth, right? So time is everything. There's a lot of information to learn. There are a lot of classes, a lot of seminars, a lot of things that you can access. But what I find is that if people wait till the last trimester, it can be like an overwhelming experience. It can feel like, oh my God, I have so much to shift through. I have so many things to look at and I don't have enough time because I'm getting the nursery ready, because I'm getting this ready, I'm getting that ready, I'm going to the doctor every week. So what I want to say is the earlier, the better. Uh, what's also really great about starting as early as possible is that you can space out your payments, right? So doulas are not regularly covered or paid for by um, by insurance. So most likely you will have to be paying for your services. But what's great about that is that if you know you have a specific doula you'd like to work with, you can say, hey, I am two months pregnant or three months pregnant, and I have a long way to go. So how can we space out these sessions to make this more affordable to me? Um, can I pay you little by little? What? Let's come up with a payment plan. So the more time you have to work with, the better for your finances, because you can spread out the payments a little more. And so yeah, I so now my answer is, as soon as you know you want to work with a doula, Start looking for a doula because the better, the earlier, the better. And it just makes it a better experience for you because if you feel like 
I need a little more time dedicated to this topic, then you can space out that time. You can make that time instead of having to rush through your sessions because baby may come two weeks early, baby may come two weeks late. Who knows? You know, so now my advice is as soon as you know, just start interviewing people. Yeah, that's such a good tip. And that totally makes sense, especially for people who are potentially pregnant for the first time, having their first baby and help you through it earlier rather than later, I'm sure is really helpful. It's everything is an entirely new experience. I mean, every pregnancy is different. So even if someone's pregnant more than once, it's going to be a different experience. But I could imagine the first time you experience that, it is a whole new world. And so having that support there who can... Yeah, I totally agree. (laughs) And now it's funny because I'm not currently pregnant right now, but I definitely have been mentally uh, making a list of people that I would like to work with uh, if and when I do become pregnant. Um, So it's really funny how you really want to be able to kind of observe people in their work and say, "Mm, I like how they do this. I like how they do that. And I think they'd be a good match. And also look at options, right? So sometimes my clients or potential clients are a little bit stunned when I tell them, like, this is a free console. We can chat. You can ask whatever you want to ask, but we're not obligated to each other, right? So you feel free to reach out to other doulas and interview people because I want you to pick someone that fits with what you are looking for. Um, And that may or may not be me. And that's okay. Right. And I start off like definitely saying that because sometimes people feel like, oh, my goodness, she's nice, but she's not exactly what I like. So I feel guilty. And and you don't want to start off any care like that with anyone. So don't feel guilty if you have to let me go. Don't feel guilty if you have to dump your OB. Don't feel guilty if you're looking for a new midwife. That's not the point of your birth experience. Choose yourself, like choose yourself because this is your birth experience. As much as we are showing up to support, none of us are giving birth to that baby except for you. So choose what you need and everyone will move on. It's fine. Mm, Yes, such a good tip. Back to what you said earlier about that harmony and making sure you have the right people who are in alignment with that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that a lot of times we are so used to taking care of others that even when they're totally, total strangers, total and complete strangers, we're so conscious of like taking care of them. And that's not in your, when you're pregnant and you're getting ready to give birth, that's not the right time to be worrying about other people, especially people you don't know. Right. Preach. (laughs) Exactly. So I'd love to talk a bit about, uh, you know, things that people can do while pregnant to kind of support them during birth and during the postpartum period. So do you recommend that there are any practices that birthing persons adopt maybe around types of movement that are helpful, mindfulness practices, breath work, things of that nature that are good to practice during the pregnancy so that both they and the baby are supported during birth and after? Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yes, 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 yes. To all of that. I really, really have to say I am obsessed with yoga, but especially prenatal yoga, because a lot of what they practice in classes 
is what you're going to tap into when you're in labor. And so I always suggest um, trying to find a practice that is also very body positive. So that way you're not super self-conscious while you're in class. And I mean, let's be honest, in this day and age, everything is virtual. But if you do happen to find a beautiful space that's safe for you to practice in person, absolutely go. But definitely try to explore the option of yoga. Um, And, you know, a lot of what you're going to find in labor is that you need to tap into breath work, you need to tap into meditation, affirmations, letting go, the concept of letting go is very important. And to not fear to not fear the unknown. And if you have ever been to yoga class, like, that's the whole common theme, like, let go, learn to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. And like, you know, so I do always suggest even your if you've never done yoga before, just trying a few sessions. Um, and if not, there's always dance. I love dance. I think dance is a, a beautiful physical release. Um, you can adapt it to any and all cultures because music is universal. And so finding a dance space where a dance class, a dance instructor, where you can just release any tension and move your body is perfect, you know? So you don't have to be like, oh, Miriam, I'm not a yoga person. Stop playing around. But that's fine. It's okay. But finding a space where you can move freely and get your attention out, your anxiety out, and and just like enjoy yourself. Um, you really want to be able to spark joy in your pregnancy and and also spark joy in your labor, right? So some people do tap into dance while they're going through their waves of birth, um, also known as contractions, but you know, they tap into that and that that's a habit that's perfectly awesome. Um, you know, any movement that you do physically is going to help during labor because it really is called labor for a reason. It's physically taxing. So the more you move your body in ways that are comfortable and enjoyable to you, the better. Um, even if after all of those suggestions, you're like, I'm not doing any of that. All I could do is walk. Then guess what? Put some music on and walk. During labor, there's a very well-known um, cycle where if you are tense, it can increase your pain. And then that can lead to fear, which ends up leading to more intensity. And it's a cycle, right? And so that part of the cycle, we want to cut right away. So anything that helps you release tension um, is going to help make your labor go more smoothly. And even if it doesn't go smoothly, even if you have complications, you will have the tools to tap into that. Um, some people do tap into like hypno, um, hypnotherapy and they may tap into other things. Um, they may tap into, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy because they may have anxiety to start off with or they may suffer from depression already. So I want to say anything that centers your mental health and your physical health and your emotional health, do that throughout your whole pregnancy. And because that's what you're going to need during your labor, right? It is very introspective a lot of times. And so you want to have those habits and tools to know what to do to calm yourself, right? Some people is breath work. Some people is meditation. Some people is music. Some people is dance. Whatever works for you, nurture that because that is what you're going to need when you're going through your labor. Definitely. Uh, that's such a good perspective of 
focusing on movement practices that give you joy, seeing labor as something that you do kind of train for in some in some ways because it is a, a major kind of physical event. And for a lot of us, it's probably going to be the greatest like physical exertion we experience. And so being mindful about how we move our bodies leading up to that sounds so beautiful. Yeah. And making sure it's in tune with you, right? Because not everyone is. (laughs) I had one client tell me, if you tell me about yoga one more time, I'm going to scream. I'm like, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm like, it's okay. Check me. Check me. Yeah. So just always centering (laughs) your experience and what works for you. Definitely. Oh, gosh. Beautiful. So before we wrap up, I would also love to talk just a bit about the postpartum period. I mean, the postpartum period, there's so many things we could say about it. That can and should be a full episode in and of itself. But I particularly want to talk a bit about the ways that we as part of the village (laughs) can show up for those in our life who have just given birth and ways that we can make sure that they are supported during that transition. So I'm very happy that COVID has calmed down a, a little bit. Um, and that some people have been able to feel more comfortable um, showing up in person for persons who have just given birth. That being said, if your friend is not comfortable with you coming by and helping in all the traditional ways, making meals for them or washing dishes or folding clothes or doing laundry, if they're like, listen, I still don't feel comfortable with people coming over. I'm not interested in that. There's two things I want you to remember. One is that you can always do drop-offs, right? So you can always offer your friend the option of picking up their laundry and dropping it off at their local laundromat and dropping it back, right? You can also offer meal drop-offs. You can say, hey, you know, I know you really love my chicken soup that I make um, or my mac and cheese that I make or whatever it is that they love of your uh, specialty dishes and say, I'm just going to drop off a tray and I don't have to come in, but I want you to, I want to make sure that you have something. Um, also if they have pets or other children offer to give them a break and walk the dog or watch their other children and say, Hey, you know, I know that things can be overwhelming, but I would love to come pick up your two children and take them to on a little movie date and give you some space. Right. Um, I'm sure that they will greatly appreciate it. There is a, a part of the pandemic that people have realized and it's that it can, it has greatly affected everyone's mental health and it has definitely isolated pregnant persons. Um, and in the postpartum period, especially where you need hands, all hands on deck, it can be very difficult to navigate how to do that or how to ask for that. So coming up with other ways to help someone is very important, but also remembering that sometimes All they need to do is talk and you don't need to offer advice, but you can very much listen. And that way you're respecting their space. You're not coming into their home without being invited. And please don't show up, please, for the love of God, do not show up to any postpartum person's house 
expecting someone to serve you a meal or or even like no one is entertaining guests like if you're gonna come over you're coming over with something especially food come with food or you're gonna help with something or you're gonna listen or you're going to be an active member of helping right we all know those people that show up and it's like oh my goodness they didn't even offer me iced coffee or no one has no one cares (laughs) they don't come over (laughs) If you are a needy person, no, no. If you are that needy person, order the food and have groceries dropped off and stay home. (laughs) Um, Because that's not helpful. So definitely, my biggest suggestion is, first things first, is to ask the person how they would like to be helped. Is there a specific task that you're finding that you're struggling with um, that I can help you with? Don't be surprised if they say they, they don't know. because. After having a baby, um, they may not even know what they need, but then offer suggestions. Well, I'm available on Friday. I can come by and pick up the kids and take them out on a little movie date. Is that okay with you? Um, so giving like actual tangible options is really helpful. So my biggest piece of advice is if you know your friends, ask them if you know that they won't be the type to accept your help or even ask for your help then offer tangible options. But please do remember that no one is trying to entertain guests. And if you're going to show up, it better be with a meal in hand, like for real. (laughs) Yes, minimum, definitely. And kind of to that point about just finding alternative ways to support people Is it possible to offer some sort of support where maybe you donate to like doula services if that's something that they're interested in or something that they would want that may not be necessarily accessible? Is that something that like a community can go up on for someone? How does that work? Yeah, absolutely. I really wish that as a community, we explore the option of a birth fund. Um, so some, some registries actually do allow you to do like a cash donation or a donation fund for the person. Um, I think that that is something we need to really explore, right? Because some people may want a doula, they may want a midwife, they may want certain things, but they may not have the cash flow for it. So having like a a doula registry fund available for people to donate or and it doesn't even have to be anything crazy. You could just say, hey, you know, I'm actually saving some money for a doula, postpartum doula, because I know I'm going to need the help. And especially at night. See, that's the thing. People forget that uh, a baby's natural sleeping cycle is to wake up every couple of hours and that they don't really make their own melatonin in the beginning. So, so they're up and they're hungry and they're trying to grow and establish the, the, the milk supply. So you're up, right? And everyone that comes by during the day, super helpful. It's great. We love you. Yes. But at night is really hard for the person. So they may specifically want to hire like a postpartum doula for the evening hours to help them. And so starting a fund or saying, hey, you know, this is what I I know I'm going to need. Would you if you're interested in giving me a gift, maybe you can just sell me some cash so I can put it towards my um, my actual fund for this. Right. And so there are some registries that let you start a cash fund. But even just getting into the habit of um, being willing to offer 
monetary funds if needed. Um, you know, I think that some people look at that as taboo. Um, I think that some communities may feel like, oh, I don't, I don't know. I can't believe this person asked for, um, money instead of gifts. But how many people receive gifts that they don't even use that they're like looking to donate after the fact? Like it's, I just can't explain. I can't express how important support is. So if you know your friend is going to want a doula, then offer to even start the fund for them, right? Like that's a beautiful thing to say, hey, I know this is my best friend. I know she's going to need the extra help. Um, I know all of my other friends are working. We don't have any time to really come through and do overnight shifts. So how about as a group of friends, we just put together some cash and give that to them, right? Give that to my friend. So I think that if we um, rethink what is actually a, a gift and rethink that concept and rethink the idea of support over, so I always say presence over presence, right? So the presence of a doula, of a support person it is so important. Like that's what they're going to remember over the present, over the bassinet, over the beautiful onesie that you got. Um, they're going to need the presence. So try to think of it that way. How can we make sure our friend has the presence of the support, has people there to help in a way that they're comfortable with? I, I'm really looking forward to that time, to those days when people are able to, to say that that's what they need and for people to be okay with offering that, right? I don't know. I just feel like a lot of times we think we're doing the right thing by getting all the cute onesies and then the baby is like a nine pound baby that doesn't fit any of you. <laughs> kind of wasn't what the person needed, right? Yeah. Presence over presence is such a beautiful sentiment that just the gift of support and helping them transition and feel rested and nourished. Um, definitely feels a lot more impactful than some material items or than only emphasizing the material items. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. So Miriam, I learned so much today. This was such a helpful conversation. Thank you for all of the knowledge, information, and resources that you shared with us. I Honestly, we could have five more episodes of me continuing because I think we kind of scratched the surface at so many of these things. <laughs> so if our listeners are interested in learning more about you or in working with you, how can they find you? So you can definitely find me on Instagram at Delicious Nutrition. Um, I also have a website, deliciousnutrition.com. And I have been working on offering BIPOC-specific birth preparation courses. So that is usually on a monthly basis. So you can find my offering on my website and sign up if you're interested, right? If you're not, that's cool too. But you can find me there. And on Instagram, I do try to post as much content as possible that's specific to our experiences because it is important to have that space for us. So yeah, I I would be honored to share space with all of you there. And you know, I do want to say thank you because if I'm being totally and completely transparent, I am 
loving the idea of those in our community reclaiming our right to have a beautiful birth experience and to give ourselves what we need to accomplish that in every physical possible way. Um, so I just want to say thank you for letting me be part of this series and also to just encourage everyone to go for that beautiful experience because you deserve it. You deserve to bring your child into this space in in complete joy and whatever way um, you can help yourself achieve that, do it. Uh. Yes, I could not agree more. And thank you so much for the work you do in making that possible for people. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. It's an honor always. So thanks, everyone. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Yes, thanks for being here. I wanted to continue asking Miriam so many more questions (laughs) with just how loving and thoughtful and attentive she is. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you are currently pregnant or want to get pregnant or have someone in your life who's pregnant, I really hope that this information was beneficial to you. Head to the show notes for Miriam's info so that you can give her a follow and check out her services at Delicious Nutrition. We'll also have extended show notes on balancedblackgirl.com with a full transcript of today's episode. Shout out to our sponsors whose support helps us produce this show and a huge thanks to you for tuning in today. Next week, we're going to talk about the transition into motherhood, navigating changing identities and reparenting ourselves. It's another conversation that you do not want to miss. So make sure you're subscribed so you can check it out as soon as it drops.